I want you to take your Bibles or your apps or whatever you read on, and today we're going to be in Matthew chapter 21. Now, if you're not familiar with where the book of Matthew is located, here's what I would tell you to do. If you're in a physical Bible, open up to the table of contents, uh, find the New Testament. It's one of the two main sections of the Bible. Find the New Testament. Matthew is the first book of that section, and then scroll over to chapter 21. Now, if you're in an app, what I would encourage you to do is pull down the list of the books of the Bible, and you'll find that Matthew is about two-thirds of the way down that list. So go to Matthew, then chapter 21. Uh, A few years ago, I was at a conference, and I had the opportunity to meet someone that I look up to as kind of one of those, uh, you know, spiritual uh, powerhouses, one of those guys that you see and you hear him teach all the time. And it was a really great honor, in my opinion, to get to meet him. Uh, I admired him for his teaching, uh, for the way he led and pastored, and so I was I was really interested in who he was as a man. And as I walked up, I got to shake his hand and do the introductions and then small little bit of chatter and then moved on. And it got me thinking, I wonder what he's like outside of that setting. Like if I got to know this person, what would that be like? Who would he really be like once you got to know him better? Have you ever had an opportunity to meet someone famous or uh, maybe someone with uh, power or authority or someone you look up to? Um, I think it's something that intrigues many of us to to meet that person that we look up to and, and wonder what they're really like, maybe what they're like behind the scenes or or behind closed doors. Are they everything that we would expect them to be or hope that they would be? I think it's something that's interesting to ponder, to think about. Makes me think about Jesus. You know, we have these four gospels, the first four books of the New Testament, the biographies of Jesus. And in them, we find out a lot about Jesus, especially who he was as far as his godhood and what he taught and what he did for us uh, uh, on the cross and in his resurrection but we miss some of the deeper aspects of him sometimes. And today, we're going to read a passage that, while brief, it gives us so much depth into who Jesus really is. And so, look with me today, Matthew chapter 21, we're going to begin in verse 1. Now, This is the introduction to the last week of Jesus' life before he goes to the cross. Uh, The last several chapters of Matthew and the last chapters of Mark, Luke, and John uh, deal with this last week of Jesus' life. And this one, chapter 21 in Matthew, begins that last week. So read with me Matthew chapter 21, starting in verse 1. It says this, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village in front of you and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone asks anything of you, you shall say the Lord needs them and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet saying, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, humble, mounted on a donkey, on a colt, a foal of a beast of burden. 
So the disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks and he sat on them. Verse eight, most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. The chapter goes on to describe how Jesus continued to minister to those who were brought to him, to those who came to him. Pretty amazing passage, but there's so much depth in what this passage contains. So today, what I wanna do is I wanna break down some of the, the tiny elements of Jesus's character that we find in this short passage in chapter, chapter 21, verses one through 13. So I think we need to begin with a simple question. And that question is this, who is Jesus? Who is he? A simple enough question, I think, but I think as we began, as we begin to answer that question, we would get into some deep, deep things of the person and the Godhood of Jesus. And so today I want to focus on one thing. Answering the question, who is Jesus? I would say one of the answers to that question would be Jesus is king. And that's today's big idea. Simply that. If you've ever listened to one of my messages, you know that I usually give one simple statement that kind of sums up that week's message. And today's big idea is simply, Jesus is king. He is. But there's so much more to that statement than just the word king. There are adjectives that we can attach to the word king that expands on who he is, expounds on the idea of the true character of Jesus. And so first off, I want to point out that Jesus is a prophesied king. He's prophesied about. Uh, so look with me again in chapter 21, verse 5. Verse 5, it says, well, let's start in verse 4. Verse four, this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet saying, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you humble and mounted on a donkey on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. You see, this is a prophecy. Uh, uh, this is a word that was spoken hundreds of years before Jesus was ever born that foretold something about him. This one specifically comes from Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. And it says this, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, a colt, a foal of a donkey. You see, 
Jesus was foretold. I don't know if you realize this, but there are somewhere between uh, 300 and 400 prophecies made about Jesus. And all of those prophecies, those foretellings about what Jesus would do and who he was, they all happened hundreds of years before Jesus came. Some of them happened uh, and some of them were, were prophecies that Jesus and his family and friends and disciples had no control over. And yet every single one of those hundreds of prophecies came true in the person of Jesus because Jesus is a prophesied king. He was foretold. He is also, in relation to this, he is a messianic king. If you look in this passage and also in Luke 19, where this passage is told uh, from Luke's point of view, you'll find that they continually call Jesus the son of David. They keep calling him this. And the son of David was a reference to the Messiah. This was a title that the Messiah was given in the Old Testament, in the first part of our Bible. And so this is giving us an identity to who he is. He's not just a prophesied king. He's also a prophesied messianic king. He was and is the Messiah, the Christ, the Savior of the world. So he's prophesied. He's messianic. Third, he is a humble king. He's humble. Look with me at verse 5 again. The prophecy says, so to the daughter of Zion say, behold, your king is coming to you, humble, mounted on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. You see, Jesus didn't ride in on a, on a gallant steed or a, a horse of war. Jesus came into the city triumphantly on a baby donkey, on an on a donkey that wasn't even fully grown, that was still needing its mother. That's humility. Jesus is revealing his humility and gentleness by this act. He's also a compassionate king. If you were to go into Luke 19, verse 41, it says that he approached Jerusalem and he wept for the city and the people. You see, he had compassion. His love and compassion for those that he came to save is displayed by this act. He cries as he approaches the city, realizing that he is about to save all mankind from their sins. That is love and compassion. John 317. We all know John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only unique son to, to save all who would call on his name. But if you were to continue reading into the next verse, it says that he did not come into the world to condemn it, but to save it. And maybe you're listening right now. Maybe you're not a follower of Jesus. Maybe you've never begun that process, that journey with Jesus. And maybe what you're hearing is 
interesting. Maybe you've got questions. Maybe you're interested in knowing more about Jesus. Well, let me give you just a a brief summary. Jesus was and is the Son of God. And his purpose in coming to earth was to teach us and to save us from our sins. You see, uh, about a week after what happens in this chapter, he is given up and he is hung on a cross, not as someone guilty because he was sinless. He didn't do any wrong, but he dies on that cross as a sacrifice for your and I's sins. You see, we're, we're all sinners. We, we all break God's law. We all do the thing that we should not do. We don't do the right that we know we should do. And because we're all sinners, we all deserve eternal punishment. But Jesus came, and when he died on that cross, and on the third day rose from the grave, he took all those sins and all that punishment on himself so that you and I could be declared innocent of our sins. And when he did that, if we will become his followers, we no longer deserve eternal punishment, but through Jesus, we get eternal, perfect existence with him where there's no pain and no suffering. And if you want to know more about that, if you've got questions about that, what I would ask you to do is take your device and text the word CHANGING to 94000. CHANGING to 94000. We'll have someone reach out to you and we would love to answer any questions that you have about Jesus and following Jesus, what that looks like and what it means. So Jesus is a prophesied king. He's a messianic king. He's a humble and compassionate king. And he is also a peace-bringing king. You see, if you go into Luke 19 again, verses 37 and 38 says this, as Jesus was drawing near, already on his way to the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. If you were to continue reading uh, into 41 and 42, uh, it comes to the passage that I mentioned earlier where Jesus looks at Jerusalem and he begins to weep out of his compassion for the people. And in that passage, Jesus says, oh, if you could only know the peace that I bring. You see, Jesus brings peace. Jesus is a peace bringer and he calls us to be people of peace as well. Are you beginning to see some of the things that are reflective in this? Just as Jesus was humble and Jesus was compassionate and as Jesus was a peace bringer, he calls us to be those as well, to be humble, loving, compassionate, and peaceful, living at peace with all of those around us. So, He's a prophesied king. He is a messianic king. He's a humble and compassionate king. He's a peace-bringing king. Next, he is a prophetic king. He wasn't just prophesied about. He brought prophecy. 
He was someone who spoke prophecy. In verse 11 of the chapter we're reading today, the people call him the prophet Jesus, meaning as a prophet that he brings the words of God. A prophet doesn't just mean someone that foretells the future or, or, or you know, interprets dreams or something like that. No, a prophet is anyone that brings the word of God. And Jesus definitely brought the word of God, didn't he? So Jesus is a prophetic king. He came to bring the truth from God that cuts into us in a good way, that cleanses us and makes us right in the eyes of God. And as a prophet, we should be listening to every word that he gives us in his word. So he's a prophetic king, but he is also a priestly king. Look with me in verses 12 and 13. Verses 12 and 13, it says, And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he said to them, It is written that my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it into a den of robbers. You see, Jesus is being a priest in this moment. He is purifying the temple. Uh, and it was also prophesied that he would do this. If you were to go into Malachi chapter three, Malachi is a book in the Old Testament. If you were to go into Malachi chapter three and read verses one through four, it says, behold, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like a fuller's soap. He will sit at a as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings into the righteous, in righteousness to the Lord. You see, this passage is foretelling that the Messiah, the messenger of the Lord, as it's referred to in Malachi, is going to be someone who will come and will purify the temple and the Levites, the sons of Levi, the, the men who served in the temple. Malachi speaks about how this messenger will restore godly worship in the temple and purify it and its priests. So Jesus is a priestly king. Then if you were to look into verse 13, he makes this reference about the house of God is supposed to be called a house of prayer, but you people, the people that the tables he's just overturned, you people have made it into a den of robbers. Now, if you were an Israelite in this day and time, you would have immediately understood that reference. It's a reference to an Old Testament book uh, called Jeremiah. You see, in Jeremiah 7, it says this, will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, make offerings to Baal, to go after other gods that have not, you have not known, and then come and stand before me in this house, which I called by my name, and say, we are delivered, only to go on doing all these abominations? Has this house, which is called by, not, by my name, become a den of robbers in your eyes? 
Behold, I myself have seen it, declares the Lord. You see, the people listening to Jesus, the moment he said, you've made this place into a den of robbers, they would have immediately referenced back to Jeremiah 7 and what Jeremiah said in that chapter. And they would have understood that the men, the people uh, who were uh, taking care of those tables, that were running business in the temple court, they would have understood that Jesus was calling them out. He was calling them out for mistreating the people. You see, what's going on here is not as cut and dry as may seem. The people who had these tables were were cheating people. They were stealing money. They were unequally balancing uh, measurements so that they could make more money. They were getting rich off of the temple. And God never calls them to do that. So I think we need to take a side rabbit trail for just a moment. We need to ask the question, why did Jesus do this? Why did he turn the tables? You know, I was tempted when I was prepping for this sermon and praying through it and getting ready. I was really tempted to kind of focus on this part of the passage. I'm thankful that God took me another direction. But I don't think we can ignore what takes place and what is being taught here. You see, how can he do this? Why can he do this? You see, Jesus in this moment is expressing a righteous anger. He's he's angry over sin. Especially in this case, he's angry over grievous sin. He's angry over something that angers God. He's not angry about what people get angry about today. He's not angry about politics uh, or or perceived threats. He's not angry about uh, disagreements that he has with other people. He's angry about what angers God. He's angry about sin. His anger is over the sin and specifically the sin of misusing God's house for your own gain. So I think we need to ask the question, what do we get angry about? What angers us? Is it worldly issues that anger us? Or is it what God is concerned with? Is it godly issues that anger us? When we see sin in our lives, do we get angry about that? When we see ways that God's name is being misused, do we get angry about that? Do we get angry about the sin that we see in the world around us? And are we compassionate for those that are caught in sin? Because let's be honest, that's what Jesus did. Let me warn you, uncontrolled anger will destroy you from the inside out. God does not reward those who live in their worldly anger and leave it unchecked. And believe me, this is one of my big struggles. This is the thing that that I probably struggle with more than most other sins. And I've gone through moments in my life where I allowed my anger to go unchecked And there were repercussions, there were consequences to that. It's one thing to have accountability and for your righteous anger 
in love and compassion to be channeled properly by God through his Holy Spirit. It's another thing to just get angry and lash out at people. I would encourage all of us because I think anger is one of those things that most people struggle with from time to time. I would encourage each and every one of us, step back and ask yourself, what is it that I struggle with in my own anger? Am I angry about worldly issues or am I angry about how sin is destroying the lives of the people around me and is in many ways destroying ourselves? That's what we're supposed to be angry about. So why did he do this? Jesus did this to show in his priestly kingship that, that his house was to be pure. He cleansed it. He, he cleared out the sin that was right there in front of all the people. But why could he do all of this? He's, he's all these things. He's a prophesied king. He's a messianic king. He's humble. He's compassionate. He is uh, a peace-bringing king. He is a prophetic king and a priestly king. But does that mean that he had the right to do these things? That he had the right to demand a donkey colt to use? That he had the right to fulfill the prophecy that's given in Zechariah chapter 9? Did he have the right to ride into Jerusalem uh, in, in celebration, in victory, in glory? Did he have the right to turn the tables in the temple. His last kingly identity gives us the reason why he's able to do all of this. Yes, he is a prophesied king, messianic king, uh, humble, compassionate, peace-bringing, prophetic, priestly. But most of all, he is a king of authority. Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the Son of God. And he has all authority in heaven and on this earth to live out what he lived out in these few verses. He is the ultimate authority because he's not just a king. He is God. But please don't miss his character in his kingship, in his deity. You see, I think that each of us struggle with some aspect of Jesus's kingship. Whether we, we struggle with that in our own personal lives, maybe it's submitting to his kingship in one area. Maybe we struggle with his kingship just in the world in general, in existence. Maybe we struggle that he was and is the Messiah, the Son of God. Maybe we struggle with his humility or his compassion. Maybe we struggle with his call to us to be humble and compassionate and peacemaking. Maybe we struggle with the truth that he brings into our lives and how that truth 
cuts through our sin and makes us confront it. Maybe we struggle with his priesthood or maybe we simply struggle to submit to his authority. I don't know what it is for you, but there's some aspect of his kingship that we all struggle with. So which one is it for you? Which of these aspect, aspects of Jesus' character do you struggle with? Do you have a hard time either understanding and embracing or living out in your own life? Because there's certain aspects of his kingship that we're supposed to live. Humility, compassion, peacemaking, truth-bringing. But which one do you struggle with and why? And what do you need to do to submit to that aspect of his kingship? Will you join me in prayer? Almighty God, we thank you. Sometimes we just simply need to remember who you are. Sometimes we don't need catchy phrases or, or uh, step-by-step application. Sometimes we simply need to remember that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords, that you call us to live in humility, in love and compassion, in peace and patience, in goodness and joy, in faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Lord, help us to understand who you are and to live our lives in a way that reflects who you are. God, we thank you. You are so amazing. And we could never fully wrap our minds and our hearts around your goodness, your kingship, your deity and your perfection. But Lord, help us to at least wrap our minds and hearts around a little bit of it so that we could be more like you, that our lives would reflect you and in doing so, that our lives would lead every generation to the life-changing hope of Jesus. So Lord, thank you. We praise you and we lift all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.